If you remain standing in your Bible and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We made it. We made it to the chapter 24 of Luke. This is the final chapter. We get to read the story of the resurrection on Easter. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 12 this morning of Luke chapter 24. The words are also printed in your bulletins. Hear now the word of the Lord. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. In returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but praise be to God, his word stands forever. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for these words of Scripture that bring us life and bring us hope. And I pray that as we sit under them this morning, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, I'm sure you noticed if you were here for the breakfast this morning, which was delicious, by the way. Thank you, Ron, Ed, for the foxes as well, Greg and Nathan. Uh, thank you for putting that on for us. Uh, as I mentioned this morning, it's one of my favorite traditions here. Nothing like coming to church in the morning and have bacon and eggs right before the service. So I understand if there's going to be some heads nodding. I know we've got a full stomach this morning. So um, every once in a while, I may shout out, a, a He is risen. No response? <laughs> Let's try that again. He is risen. <laughs> All right. So, um, but uh, as, as you notice downstairs, we, we're having a little mini resurrection of our church building as well. Uh, the, the paint color that we have up here has been uh, working its way downstairs through the fellowship hall, through the nursery, Sunday school classrooms. It's not quite done yet, uh, but it is providing quite the transformation to our church. It's amazing what a little paint color on the wall can do to really brighten up uh, the fellowship hall. So we're enjoying that as well. Last night was a big night for my family, uh, for my two boys in particular. We've been reading through one of my favorite books that I really enjoy, The Hobbit. And last night, we finished it. And um, I love this book because I love the writing of J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, just his, the mind that God has given him to, to create these, these worlds of fantasy 
uh, to draw together Christian themes, uh, to create his own languages, uh, to write poetry in the midst of prose. He is just a masterful, uh, a masterful writer. Um, and I love that my children get sucked into this story. Uh, they're very excited about reading the next three. Uh, as we came to church this morning, the first question that Elliot asked me as he was getting out of the van, um, are we going to start the Lord of the Rings now? <laughs> I said, yeah, we could do that. Uh, that would be great. Um, we love reading to our kids, and our kids love stories. Uh, they love at bedtime that we curl up with them and we read them books. Uh, they love getting involved and engrossed in these stories. But the saddest part of any story, for them in particular, uh, is the ending. It's the ending. Every time that we close a book at bedtime, it's always, can we read another? <laughs> uh, because they love stories, and the ending is so sad, usually. Even if it's a happy ending, it's sad that we have to end and uh, usually go to sleep. The good news for my boys is that after The Hobbit, there's three more books, and each one is longer than The Hobbit. So we got a lot of reading left to do. But after that, those books will end as well. Books always end. Our great God is a master storyteller as well. In fact, uh, Tolkien has nothing on God in reality. Uh, he has been writing a story. It's the story of history. He's been writing it in Scripture. He's been writing it in our lives. Uh, we have a story that he has provided for us in his word uh, certainly, we don't have the entire story of history. If that were written down, I don't know how many volumes that would take. But we have the stories that he has given us in his word. And the climax of that story is the life, the death, the resurrection, and the coming again of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the climax. Uh, when we were in classical conversations as a family, uh, they have you uh, memorize this timeline. They put it to song. And it's certain events in history, certainly not all of them, uh, but it's over 100 to kind of gauge, you know, get the, the overall scheme of history and how God has, has ordered life. And at a particular part, there's this grand climax. It, uh, it starts uh, a couple before where it goes Caesar Augustus and the Pax Romana, John the Baptist, and then suddenly you hear cheering, and there's this great celebration in the background as you hear the words, Jesus the Messiah. It's this huge climax to the song because Christ is the climax of history. Christ is the climax of the story that God has been telling and he will continue to tell. Um, I've spoken a lot of Francis Schaeffer from the pulpit here as I've been learning about his life. His wife, Edith, wrote a book uh, that's kind of a narrative of their lives and it's called The Tapestry. Because what she saw is that God is telling the story of our lives, and it's like a tapestry. That each one of our lives is like a thread that God is weaving together in this grand tapestry of life. And throughout her book, she, uh, she tells the stories of different people and how certain events came together that they didn't know at the time that would affect them later on in their lives. And she sees how God weaves this beautiful tapestry together how we touch one another's lives, and how others touch ours in a deep and in a very profound way. So this is the story that God is telling in our lives. And this is the story that God began well before the beginning. And I know that's hard for us to imagine, 
that the story of God began before the beginning. But it did. And this story that God is telling is, going to, is never going to end. The story that God is telling is a never-ending story. Also very difficult for us to understand. But the reason that God's story is a never-ending story is because of what we celebrate today. God's story is a never-ending story because of the reality of the resurrection that Jesus rose again from the dead. And our lives are part of that never-ending story. We are a thread in this tapestry that literally goes on forever and ever and ever. So this morning, as we approach Luke 24, these first 12 verses, we're going to approach them in this way. We're going to approach them uh, and going to imagine that this part of God's story, that the resurrection never happened. And we're going to try and see what would happen or how would that affect our lives if the resurrection never occurred. So imagine if we came to Luke 24, how would the story of Easter morning look different if Christ had not been raised? When the women went to the tomb, they didn't find anything out of the ordinary. The stone was not rolled away. Instead, they found the body of Jesus there. And they simply did what they came there to do, which was to anoint his body for burial. Imagine if Jesus was laying exactly where Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had laid him on that Friday night. If the angels had never appeared, if there was never an earthquake, uh, if they simply came, did their business there, and they left. They never went to tell the disciples because there was nothing to tell them. And Peter never ran to investigate for himself. He never marveled at what had happened it simply was life as normal. So if this was the case, how would the story of Scripture after this look different? Honestly, you might as well end the Gospel of Luke right there. There would have been no Jesus appearing to the two men on the, the road to Emmaus because Jesus was dead. There would have been no Acts of the Apostles because they would have still been grieving the fact that their Savior, who they thought would be their Savior, was dead. You could throw out the epistles of Paul uh, to the letters, of the, the letters to the churches, uh, and you can certainly toss out the book of Revelation because the Revelation, Revelation is all about Jesus coming again. Jesus couldn't come again if Jesus was still dead. So you might as well toss out the rest of Scripture. None of them would have needed to be written because Jesus would have still been dead. So what about today, 2,000 years ago? How would the story of our lives look different if the resurrection had never happened? So, here's where we're going this morning, and we've got three points. So, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then our faith is futile and life is meaningless. And we're going to look at Scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul explains that for us. So, if our faith is futile and life is meaningless, then three things are true. Then death is the end. The suffering that we experience in this life is pointless. And we are left completely without hope. Completely without hope. So as I mentioned, uh, Paul gave a treatise for us, one of the greatest chapters in Scripture on the resurrection, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 15. 
Um, if you have your Bibles, I would recommend that you turn there. We're going to be looking at several verses from 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. But he wrote this to people who lived post-resurrection, after the resurrection of Christ. And there were people in the church in Corinth who did not believe the resurrection was real. Not just Jesus' resurrection, but resurrection period. They did not believe that people were raised from the dead. And so Paul addresses the question, what if Christ had not been raised? And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, this is what he says. He says, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So basically what Paul is saying is that if Christ had not been raised, we might as well just go home right now. Because what we are doing right now is pointless. But thankfully, Christ has been raised. So our faith is not in vain, and our preaching of the gospel is not in vain. So the three points that we're going to explore this morning. If Christ is not raised, then death is the end of our story. That's it. It's final. Second, if Christ is not raised, then our suffering that we experience in our story is pointless. There is no reason for it. And finally, if Christ is not raised, then our story has no hope. No hope. So I know Easter is supposed to be this happy and a joyous occasion, and it is. Uh, but bear with me for a few moments while we understand what would happen if we didn't have it, so that we do realize the joy that we do have. The joy that we do have. So first, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then death is the end of our story. When we, uh, when we profess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed, uh, we get to the end after expressing our faith in God the Father and in God the Son, and then we believe in the Holy Spirit. We say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. We say it in our Apostles' Creed. But imagine if that was not the case, if we did not believe in the resurrection and we did not believe in the life everlasting. If death were the end of my story, if death were the end of my life, then I would be completely terrified of death. Death would be absolutely terrifying. Death uh, would catapult past public speaking as the number one fear. I think it's number two or it may be number three on the list. But people actually fear public speaking more. But that would not be the case if death were the end. Because death would be terrifying. Because it would be final. There would be nothing more. That's it. You're done. And honestly, when we look back on our lives, we realize that life is pretty fleeting, isn't it? It goes by so quickly. I feel like every year goes by faster than the year before. Uh, Facebook has been doing this thing for a while now where they do these Facebook memories and they show you pictures or posts that you had done on that date years before. And one of them popped up in my feed uh, this past week. It was a, a picture of Stephanie when she was pregnant with Elliot. We were living at our house in central Florida. I was still in seminary. We had no idea where God would be taking us in just eight short years. And I looked back on that, I was like, wow, so much has happened in the past eight years. And it seems like just yesterday. Life is fleeting. Where does the time go? It goes so quickly. And if this 
life were all that there was, wouldn't you want to hold on to it simply as long as possible? Just as long as you possibly could. If death were the end, then the death of others would be so devastating. Ron mentioned in the prayer this morning that he lost a good friend of his, Perry, uh, this past week to a tragic accident. I know that many of you have lost loved ones recently. Some more than you can imagine over the last couple of months. If death were the end, the death of our loved ones would be so devastating. What would we do with that? We would try to hold on to them as long as we possibly could. You know, I had a friend in college uh, who was 19 when he very suddenly passed away. And when young people die, we lament that because we realize or we think about so much life that they could have had that is wasted when someone so young dies. But imagine if that was it, if that was completely the end. How much more we would lament at that point. If death were the end, there would be so many threads in this tapestry that God is weaving that would simply just stop short. And what kind of tapestry would that be with so many threads that were all different lengths? Finally, if death were the end, honestly, we would have the right in this life to live simply however we wanted to. We could just live simply as we pleased. And Paul draws this out in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32. He says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And there's many people in the world who live with that worldview. That life is all that there is, so it doesn't matter what we do as long as we enjoy this life because there's nothing else. And that makes sense if there is nothing else. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we are going to die. And then what? We don't want to waste life on things like pain and sorrow and suffering. What would be the fun of that? Instead, let's just live it up, live life to the fullest. Wouldn't we want to avoid struggle and suffering at all costs? And that makes sense. And that brings us to point number two this morning. If Christ is not raised, then the suffering in our story is pointless. The suffering and the trials that we go through in this life have no meaning if death is the end. Without the resurrection, the details in our story that involve struggle simply do not make sense. Why would God allow this to happen if death were the end? I was listening to a sermon this past week uh, by uh, a pastor by the name of Alistair Begg. Some of you may know him, some of you may not. Uh, he's a pastor out of Cleveland. And in his sermon, he made this statement that, that really uh, made a big impact on me. He said, why would you live in present danger if there was no future delight? Why would we live in present danger if there were no future delight? I have a confession to make this morning. Um, it's not going to be as big as a confession I made a couple of weeks ago, which, by the way, I want to thank you for that. Uh, I feel like you guys received me graciously as I was um, very vulnerable with you, and it has led to some very good conversations with several people in our congregation. Uh, this, this, uh, this confession is a little more lighthearted, 
Uh, my confession to you guys is that your pastor has actually been doing CrossFit for the last, I think, three months now. I know you can probably tell because of my bulging biceps right now and uh, the, just my muscular physique. Um, but uh, it's been a lot of fun as I've stepped into that arena and, um, and been doing CrossFit uh, several mornings a week. Uh, I'm a morning person, and so I get up early, and there's usually the same group of people that are at the gym at the same time, and we just uh, enjoy this workout together, and it's a painful workout for those of you who know CrossFit. Um, but here's the question. Why would I get up in the morning and go to the gym and suffer that pain and trial and struggle if there was no benefit to it, if there was no payoff? Why would we exercise? Why would we eat healthy? Why would we make our kids eat broccoli if there was no payoff? In reality, we should just feed our kids the Easter candy that they got yesterday at the Easter egg hunts that they are begging for. Why would we make them eat their broccoli? Because there's a payoff for it. Why do we work out? Why do we exercise? Because there's a payoff of health. What struggle and trial does is that it points to the future. And if there is no future, then what is the point? Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 20 through 21, 21 through 22, excuse me, he says this, "For as by man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead." For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. So here's the point. If Christ has not been raised, then we will not be raised. And if we won't be raised, then there's verses all over Scripture that simply do not make sense. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17, Paul writes, For our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory which far outweighs them all. If we won't be raised, that verse does not make sense. Paul in, in Philippians 1 verse 21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If Christ has not been raised, that is false. To die is not gain. To die is the end. That is it. There is nothing more. If Christ has not been raised, our light and our momentary troubles achieve for us nothing. They are pointless. There is no reason for the disciples in the Acts of the Apostles to give up their lives and become martyrs for the sake of the gospel. There's no reason for Dietrich Bonhoeffer to resist the Nazis during World War II. There's no reason for Christians today to stand up to ISIS and to receive a beheading. There is no reason for us to give of ourselves out of love, to stand up for the truth of today. There is no reason. It is pointless. One of the privileges of your pastor that I have as your pastor is hearing your stories. And I know that a lot of you are struggling right now. And if Christ had not been raised, there is no point to our struggles. There is no point to the trials that we are going through. But we know that God uses them for our sanctification because our struggles point to the future. Our shorter catechism, when it asks, what is sanctification, responds this way, that sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man, 
after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. You see, our struggles are preparing us for the future, for our resurrection. They are making us into the image of God. Our struggles make us more and more dependent on our faithful Father, less and less dependent on ourself. They make us more and more to trust in Christ and what He has done for us on the cross. Without the resurrection, these struggles in our stories simply do not make sense. I mentioned uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer before. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived in a time of trial and struggle in the nation of Germany. Uh, He lived during the time leading up to and during World War II, where he saw his beloved nation, his beloved Germany, come under uh, the Nazi and Hitler control, where the freedoms that they enjoyed were taken away, where people that they knew were literally taken away. There was a constant threat of being arrested for resisting the regime. He actually joined in a group that attempted to assassinate Hitler on multiple occasions as well. At one point, Bonhoeffer came to the U.S. uh, as a way of escape so that he could teach at a seminary here. But after about a week or so, he was convicted that God needed him to be back in Germany. So he entered back into that suffering willingly. Shortly after his return to Germany, he was arrested. And at that point, he would never be free again. In fact, just a few weeks before the war had ended, Bonhoeffer gave his life. If there is no resurrection, what would be the point of a life like that? What would be the point of resisting, of allowing yourself to suffer, even allowing yourself to be killed if that was it? But because Christ was resurrected, we have hope. And this was the hope that Bonhoeffer had. And this is our third point this morning. If Christ was not raised, then we have no hope. Then there is no reason for Bonhoeffer to do that. And honestly, I believe that this is the hardest point of all. Because what is it like to live in a world where there is no hope? I don't want to live in a world like that. Without the resurrection, we know that life will go on just exactly is it is. And sometimes the only thing that we have in this life to cling to is hope. Is hope. At last year's uh, General Assembly of our denomination, and this year as well, uh, a lot of talk was made about racial reconciliation. That has been in the news a lot with incidents that have happened across our nation. Uh, It came up in our General Assembly Uh, It's going to come up in this next General Assembly because there are several resolutions from different presbyteries uh, about uh, making uh, this this restitution, in a sense, of racial reconciliation and admitting our sin in that. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see um, our debate on the floor of the Assembly as we work towards this reconciliation. Uh, In the 60s, during the the time of civil rights, obviously Martin Luther King was one of these these great civil rights leaders. And when you think about the civil rights movement, uh, you think about his speech on the the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, uh, his I Have a Dream speech. 
And as I was preparing this, this past week, thinking about hope, I realized that in that speech, he embodied hope. He had hope for the future of our country. I'm going to read a couple of lines from one of the more, some of the more famous lines from his speech. He said, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the truth, the true meaning of its creed, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the contents of their character. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope, this is our faith that I go back to the south with. This is the hope that King had. And it wasn't a hope in 2015 that where our nation would be at that point. Because if he were alive today, I think he would be still disappointed by where our nation is at in terms of racial reconciliation. His hope wasn't in the future. His hope was ultimately in Christ's return. Because as he quotes this passage from Scripture, we know that this is Christ's coming again that he is referring to. And that is where our hope lies. But without the resurrection, we have no hope in this. Because Christ is still dead and there is no promise of future glory. And if we have no promise that every wrong will be made right, that all the darkness will be made light, that every evil will be undone, then how do we live in this world? How do we handle the diagnosis of cancer if we have no hope that one day it will be eradicated? How do we handle the threat of terrorism if we have no hope that one day it will cease? How do we handle the uncertainty and direction of not only our nation but of this world if our king of kings lies dead in the grave? How do we handle all the hurt and all the pain, the loneliness, the depression, the sorrow in this world if we have no hope that one day all of it will end? How do we handle it? The answer is, I have no idea. I have no idea. I cannot possibly imagine. And thanks be to God, we do not have to imagine. Because we live in a world that does have hope. We live in a world where the the suffering in our story does make sense. We live in a world where death is not the end. We live in a world where Christ has risen from the grave, where he has, as we have sung this morning and every Sunday this month, where he is trampling over death by death, where he has come awake And he is calling us as Christians to come awake and to rise up from the grave. We live in a world where Christ is alive, where he is seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. And we live in a world where the resurrection is real, where our Lord and Savior is going to come again, and where he is going to make all things new. This is the world that we live in. So Christ is risen from the dead. 
And because he has risen from the dead, death is not the end. The suffering that we have in this life has a point, and we do have hope. The story that God is writing in our lives is a never-ending story. It does go on forever and ever and ever and ever. And by his grace, God has made us a part of that never-ending story. We don't have to be terrified of our death or the death of those around us because our Redeemer lives. Now, I want to be clear here because the Bible is very clear about this. Death for those who believe in Christ is a joyous occasion. It's bittersweet because we we miss that person. But we rejoice because we know that they are with Jesus. But for those who are not in Christ, death is not joyous. It is terrifying. Because we know that those who believe in Christ will go on to life with Him. And those who do not believe in Christ will not. They will go to eternal judgment. And that is real. So if you this morning are here and you have never professed your faith in our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you need to come talk to me. Because this is real. And death for those who do not believe in Christ is terrifying. And I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. But for those who do believe in Christ, death is not the end. Death is joyous, and we will spend eternity in heaven with God. Because life is all about Christ, suffering has a point. Because our Savior has risen from the dead, our present danger is is securing for us a future delight. The exercising, the eating right in this life does have a purpose. And it's for a future glory that God has prepared for us. God is sanctifying us. He is preparing us for it. He is using this suffering to strengthen us in Him. He is using our suffering to increase our longing for Christ because our sanctification will be followed by a glorification. 1 Corinthians 15, 50-52 says this, I tell you this, brothers, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. This is the future glory that we have to look forward to. Our struggles will end, and these struggles will not define our story because Christ defines our story. And finally, because Christ is risen, we indeed have hope. But because Christ was raised, we too will be raised. We do not have to wallow in despair. Instead, we have hope. Life is not the end. This life is barely the beginning. It's like hearing a great symphony. And this life that we have is simply the first note. We have the rest of the symphony to enjoy. This is what eternity is going to be. This life is barely the beginning. We have a promised hope and a future where every wrong will be made right. And I want to read these words again that Dr. King had uh, quoted in his speech. It's from Isaiah 40, 40, uh, 4 through 5. Where every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low, the uneven ground shall become level, 
the rough places, a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen and hallelujah. All the darkness in this world will be driven away, all pain and sorrow will cease, all tears will be wiped away, and all because of the resurrection of Jesus. And as we conclude, we're reminded of these words from 1 Peter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We have a living hope through the resurrection from our, of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen, and let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, we thank you that we do not serve a Savior who is in the grave, that our King is not dead. In fact, He is risen. We thank you that you are weaving our lives into this incredible tapestry that you are telling, this story that you are telling of our lives. And we thank you that this is a never-ending story, that death is not the end, that the trials and the sufferings that we go through in this life have a point and that we are left not as ones who are without hope, but we have all the hope in the world because you live. And we have the joy and the pleasure to sing of this, that because you live, we can face tomorrow. In fact, we will face eternity with you because of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you in his name. Amen.